0: A woohooer! A hand clapper, a high fiver. I kinda like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary, DW or prohibited by loss.
1: Previously on Who Killed Amy Mahalovic. I know from a, a friend of hers that I spoke to said that she walked out the door, she usually walks out, passed her bike in the bike rack and walked the opposite direction of our home. He said hello, she did not respond. The next thing that we have for certain is that she was sighted in the shopping square which is approximately a block, a block and a half from the school.
2: I mean, this has been going on for, uh, you know, 29 years almost. and. Uh, the- It just didn't end the day that, uh, you know, it's been going on for 29 years. I've been a part of this. In the beginning, behind the scenes, a little bit more in front of the uh, scenes right now.
1: First uh, couple of four or five days, you know, you spend 24 hours a day crying your eyes out and saying, why, why me, why me, why my Amy? And I guess there is no answer to that question because this is proven, it can happen anywhere, anytime. But um, after a while, you still cry. I ask, as Amy's mother, on this, her 11th birthday, to give us the gift of that information. The best gift that can be given Amy today is her safe return to our family.
2: Yeah, you know, first of all, Margaret and Amy were close. Uh, you know, They rode horses together, they hung out together. They they were more close. And I think that there had to be some factual basis in Amy's mind for this trip. To meet this person, and I think that would make sense. And I also think that for them to have the information they did, um, implies some familiarity with Margaret. A female jogger was jogging this morning, approximately 7.30, and uh, she spotted something in the field and went off the field and checked, and it was a body.
1: As the sun was setting behind the Mihalovics Bay Village home, the family was inside, grieving, in no condition to speak. And most of the neighbors were too stunned for words. Being kidnapped, and she, she's with God now, so it'll be fine. It's sick. Hope we'll no no just find anything. him and rest him.
0: Amy became everybody's child. Her playful grin endeared us to her, but tattered ribbons now remind us of the ugliness, not the hope.
1: To you. There aren't any words in the English language to explain it, the it feeling, is, um, the emptiness. The anger, the trauma, the tragedy. There just aren't adjectives enough to explain. There's just no way. I am Bill Huffman, and welcome to the 15th episode of Who Killed Amy Mahalovic, a Slow Burn Media LLC production. I'd first like to say thank you to all the listeners for their kind words about the previous episode that focused on getting to know Amy's mother, Margaret. I thought it was important to hear from her because she passed away nearly 20 years ago, and her voice can be forgotten through the course of an investigation such as this. During the past few months, we have covered Amy's bizarre abduction, the search, the discovery of her body, the investigation for her killer, and I've spoken with members of the FBI the Bay Village Police Department, one of Amy's close friends, Nick from the True Crime Garage podcast, and true crime author James Renner. Heck, Renner and I even met with some people who had bought one of James's top suspects' old storage unit. To say this case is an enigma wrapped in a mystery may be an understatement. The answer to who killed Amy remains unanswered. For now. It is up to the public to report any information they may have on this case, or the suspect or suspects that may be involved. There has been one update since the last episode. It hasn't been fully fleshed out, but since James Renner said I could use the information he has put on his blog, then it is worth noting here. So please advise, this is straight from the site, amymahalovic.blogspot.com, a site that James has kept for years now. So according to Renner, quote, "A couple weeks ago I was contacted by a person who moved into a rental property in Wayne County, Ohio. While cleaning inside a closet, they discovered that years ago someone had carved a message into the wall. It reads, "AM was murdered here." Unquote. Of course, they assumed this meant Amy Maholovic. Wayne County is not far from Ashland, so it suddenly became of great interest to authorities, and everyone was trying to figure out who lived there in 1989. The house itself sits at a rural crossroads in Orville and is owned by Stoll Farms. I drove down there last week, puppy in the passenger seat, and spoke to farmers with Stoll and other farms in the area who have roots going back a 100 years. I was given the name of a man who they believed lived there with his wife and son in 1989. I managed to track him down to a farm in Kentucky. I spoke to his wife at length and learned a few things. First, this seems like a real, decent family, and nobody appears to have a criminal history. They have no idea who would have carved something like that in the closet and don't remember seeing it. But they recall they were not actually there in the fall of 1989. They believe a farmhand employee of Stoll Farms was living there. The woman could not remember the name. Finally, I visited the Stolls themselves. A Bay Village police officer had visited them, and they were reluctant to say much. Other than it appears nobody can 100% recall who it was who lived there. Mike Lewis at Confidential Investigations, a private eye in Cleveland, ran a background check of the address itself. Nearly 40 different people have leased the house in the last 40 years. Perhaps the name of the person who carved the message is on there, but none of the names are familiar to me. Unsettling is all I can say, and if you would like to read more on James Renner's blog, the address is com. James has been a valuable resource throughout this podcast, and his investigative work he's done over the years is greatly appreciated by everyone who wants this killer found. In the last episode, we got to know Margaret Maholovic on a more personal level. She had been heard throughout the podcast in sound bites, but to hear her speak from the heart was touching. On this week's episode of Who Killed Amy Maholovic, we are going to get to know Amy's father, Mark. Over this past summer, I made two trips out to Mark's home a beautiful place off a of cul-de-sac some 20 miles or so from where he raised Amy and his son Jason. Mark has remarried. His wife, Georgette, greeted me on both occasions and went out of her way to make me feel comfortable. Here I was, talking about the worst thing that anyone can imagine happening to them, and they are concerned about how much I've had to eat and drink. But that really does sum up the Mahalovics. They are always aware of their guests' needs, and they are very welcoming. One thing that stood out is the amount of clocks that the Mahalovics had collected over the years. And I also make mention of the clocks because there will be at least a few occasions where you hear the sound of a clock going off. Another thing that was really fascinating was the giant dollhouse that had been built for their niece. Georgette had spent hours making each little item in the house, and they told me that it had got so big that they were probably going to have to keep it and just let the niece come over and play. Georgette was very kind during my visits, and she really seems to have a great bond with Mark. Mark Maholovic's is a large, unassuming guy who in his early 70s moves around pretty well. His face may show some of the wounds of a man who suffered with the loss of his 10-year-old daughter for nearly 30 years, but he looks good. He is thoughtful when he reflects on Amy as a child, but you can tell the pain in which he suffers is one that won't ever see an end, no matter who, if anyone is found guilty of his daughter's murder. This case has always been personal to me because of the proximity of where Amy was abducted, but after I met Amy's father, it did take things to a whole new level. I desire nothing more at this point than to seek closure for a family that has suffered for close to 30 years. What you will hear next are excerpts from my interviews with Mark Maholovic over the summer of 2018. We discuss everything from Amy as a child to where he grew up in Wisconsin, his work with Buick, and what his life has been like seeking justice for his daughter. It's important for other people to hear your perspective on the case and that you're still out here and it's still looking here. for answers and you know, you're living your life.
2: But Well you can do it, you just gotta keep putting one foot ahead of the other.
1: Basically, I want to get a sense of what your life was like before any of this happened. Like, what was your like, let's say the months leading up to October 27, 1989? Like, what
2: was a normal weekend like? Um, Well, I pretty much worked five days a week, and I was gone quite a bit and uh, so uh in fact, uh, the day that Amy was abducted, I was just coming back out of Cincinnati. <sighs> Excuse me, just coming back out of Cincinnati and uh, from a meeting. But uh, pretty much uh, five days a week, I was gone from the house. So, uh, and I would, I would I worked. I, I put a little, maybe too much effort into my job. Uh, but then on the weekends, we would try to do something uh, as a family, or go someplace, or whatever. Amy was into horseback riding and we'd go to horse shows or we'd do something or, you know, it's, there was no set that on Saturday at a certain time we had to be a certain place at a certain time.
1: What time did you typically get home on a weeknight?
2: Well, if I was here in town, I'd get home at 6, 6.30, a little bit later. Um, if I was out of town, of course, I'd make be gone for, you know, two or three days.
1: I was interested in the different dealerships that Mark would have traveled to, so I wanted him to expand on his territory. Uh, When I was
2: uh, here in town, I just really traveled within the uh, Lake County, uh, Geauga County, I mean Lake County, Cuyahoga County, and uh, Lorain County. That was it. That was my district. We had one dealer here, and uh, he did more for Buick, as far as advertisement, not singly, but with this ad group, and getting dealers involved and stuff that I don't think Buick had a clue how to do. And I, I'm saying that not meanly, but they he did more for Buick by himself in he this was, area.
1: Was he, a prog- like he was just progressively thinking? He, was, like progressively he
2: knew thinking. everybody. He knew everybody. If you wanted tickets to go see underground submarine races, he could get you tickets. Who was this? What was his name? His name was George Shyman. He's since passed away. Okay. But uh, he was...
1: George Shyman.
2: He was out of Painesville, Ohio. Okay.
1: And he ran an advertising company?
2: No, he yeah. was president of the ad group.
1: So, like, president of the ad group. What is the president of the ad
2: group? Well, you know, it's just like when you got 14, 15 people to come together, he was the leader. He was the president. He was the...
1: Of, the Bu- of all the Buicks. Yeah, of the Buick
2: people here in town, yeah. So
1: what was his job, like an day job?
2: Selling cars, satisfying people.
1: So he, that's really. So wow. He was a dealer, but he was it, a it, it dealer, was, but he took. It took,
2: yeah, it took. It, that takes some real effort, and it takes a it takes you away from your he, core business because you're doing so much other stuff of uh, whatever it might be. I mean, uh, back then Buick was the. At one time, we were the. <laughs> he, I mean, this guy knew everybody. We were the official car of the Cavaliers, official car of the Indians, official car of, uh, I'm missing somebody, uh, we were the official car of the Grand Prix, we were official car of the uh, Cleveland uh, Air Show, we were the official car, you just name it, we were the official car.
1: When did you leave Buick then? Or when well, did you leave, uh, Like, did you retire from them? Well, did
2: you... I did retire from them. Um, this was my last move coming to Cleveland. And, uh, and, and, um, not be gourgeously, or not with any uh, malice in my heart, but Amy had a lot to do with keep the Amy case had a lot to do with me staying here in Cleveland, with yeah. with Margaret leaving and uh, uh, her passing. Then I'm the only one left.
1: Can you recall what that day was like on October 27th, 1989, when you returned back from the meeting in Cincinnati?
2: Uh huh. I just that was a Friday. And uh, we had his own meeting down there in Cincinnati. And uh, when I got home here, it must have been about six o'clock at night. And uh, uh, Margaret Mar- was at, uh, running around. She's like, I said, What's the matter? Oh, what's the matter? Oh, I can't find Amy. I can't find Amy. And that's how it all began. Uh, Margaret had uh, called some of our friends, and they, you know, Amy's friends, and uh, they searched around. and. Uh, uh, Where you know she might be at somebody's house or something, but uh, uh, of course it didn't happen that way. Uh, By then, Margaret had called uh, uh, all the Amy's parents' friends or uh, friends and uh, called some of our friends uh, that lived in. In fact, I was just uh, out to lunch with this uh, one guy that came in, he lived in a vermilion, came in from a vermilion, and that's when him and I uh, walked to French Creek, they're all the way from bay village to the lakefront that night and uh
1: when you're the parent of a missing child i can only imagine the pain and heartache that must go through you the first day that you find out that your child is missing so i wanted to talk with mark about when it was that he thought it was time to call it a day oh i don't know i don't
2: know what if there was you? you know were you if, up all night uh was up all night uh uh, if I remember right, uh, in the kitchen there, the phone was hanging on the wall in the kitchen. We didn't have, it's not like we had wireless. And uh, Margaret uh, camped right below that uh, phone that night in the kitchen floor waiting for the phone to ring. So.
1: Is there anything that you would have done differently that first weekend? I know it's hard to look back and reflect on that time, but is there anything that you would have changed?
2: You know, I don't know. I uh, uh, uh there's things I would do differently about how I handled it with Jason or whatever. And he was sort of left out in the, you know, we asked him about what might have been going on. I don't really know, I, and the chief would probably know, but I don't think they really um, questioned Jason. They might have, well, you know, what a little bit, but they, they didn't go too in depth with him about what might have happened. Well, number one, um, the more I think about it, uh, that Monday, uh, I said, Jay, you need to go to school. I said you might hear something that nobody else, you know, because that was it. Definitely was a talk of Bay Village by Monday morning, and maybe I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have forced him to go to school because uh, he was under, uh, uh, even though he didn't show it, he was under stress also, and uh, and uh, uh, shouldn't have done that.
1: You have mentioned in uh, previous interviews about the marriage that you had with Margaret. Do you think that Amy was aware of the unhappiness that existed between the two of you?
2: I'd like to think maybe that's maybe what started Amy to go... The, the story is, you know, I'm trying to buy a gift to, uh, to make my mother happy. So I think that's maybe where it started from.
1: That's how he got her comfortable?
2: Well, that's how... Or she just, she felt- just wanted to go out of her way to try to make Margaret happy.
0: 18 plus.
1: One of the things that I've learned in my investigation is that Amy had a secret code that she would use with her mother.
2: Yeah, the kids and I don't. I I think I didn't remember the word, but if somebody said, "I'm here to pick up you at school," they uh, without them saying the 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 secret word, uh, they knew that that was not. They weren't uh, supposed to be doing that. Well, back to Amy. So Amy was a can-do person, uh, very smart. Uh, She was book, very book smart. Uh, Did well in school. Uh, uh, Athletics, horses, and and school, and and just usually pretty pretty quiet. If she didn't know you, she wasn't going to talk to you.
1: Unfortunately, Margaret also suffered from alcoholism, and it was a dividing factor within the marriage. And during Amy's disappearance, uh, even the authorities were having issues with the drinking.
2: When Amy went missing, it was the end of October, but it was extremely warm, nice out. Yeah, and uh, uh, our house in Bay Village uh, backed up to the railroad tracks, but in between the railroad tracks and the main yard, there was I uh, I don't know, twenty-five foot buffer of woods. I mean, you could see through them and stuff, but there was a there was a twenty five foot buffer mm-hmm. and uh i I remember one time uh bill the, i think it was the f b i or the police I can't remember which now uh they were out in that right on the edge of that buffer we were talking to margaret uh, and they came back in uh one of those times, and uh they didn't really yell at me, but they made it very forceful mark, you gotta stop her. From drinking, we keep getting different stories from her out there. She's not on. She, she's not giving us the same information.
1: Did Margaret's drinking make her a person of interest to the authorities when Amy first went missing?
2: No, I don't think so. Just no, I don't think so. Just that she was drinking so much that she couldn't stay focused.
1: There, there was, it was impeding their investigation.
2: True. That, that's a good way to put it, Bill.
1: Needless to say, but you understood that being the parents of a missing child, that you guys were going to be put under the microscope a little bit more intensely than, say, somebody else in the family.
2: Oh, sure, that's the, the answer to most most of the cases like that. It's going to be in the
1: in the family. Family. Uh... Amy's body was found 106 days later on. February 8th, 1990, on County Road 1181. And I wanted to know as gently as possible when it was that Mark thought it was that Amy wasn't going to be coming home alive. And this is what he had to say.
2: I had in my mind long before then that she wasn't going to be found alive. That was just, just probably about two months before. They had, a, uh, they had a birthday party for her at the old middle school in Bay And uh, I just realized that 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 was the night that she wasn't coming back alive. I had held hope all that time until that night. But that's, I guess, I don't know.
1: Despite it being the worst day of your life, what is your memory or recollection of that February 8th, 1990?
2: Well, uh, I was at a dealership, uh, and I was called and told that uh, they had uh, found Amy's body. And uh, we all met back at the house there on Linford. And uh, the police chief at the time, Bill Guru, uh I don't know who from the FBI anymore, probably uh, Dick Wren, mm-hmm. and uh, the second pastor in... Uh, at Bay was there, and me and Margaret, and uh, I might be missing something, somebody, but I think that's who was there. That once they found her uh, body, I thought, well, now they'll be able to get some information from the body and maybe solve the case.
1: After Amy's body was found, did you guys have a memorial service or a funeral for Amy here in Cleveland?
2: No, uh, Amy's remains were cremated, and Margaret thought that uh, since we were from Wisconsin, we'd always be going back there. her, that uh, her ashes were buried in Wisconsin. And then when Margaret died, she was also cremated, and her their ashes are in the same plot.
1: You mentioned there being a service held in Wisconsin. Did you attend that service as well? I did not go. Oh, you didn't go? Nope. Did Margaret go? Yes. Okay. I did not go. Now, were you and Margaret at that point?
2: We were pretty much at odds. Uh, it was just, I was just uh, starting. And then just, just yeah, went,
1: uh, exacerbated the situation? Yeah, went
2: crazy after that, but even more crazy.
1: Statistically speaking, the death of a child in a marriage generally leads to a divorce. It's just that two people grieve in different manners, and Mark and Margaret already had issues before Amy went missing, and her death was just something that put the situation into full speed.
2: That started before the... before the. Uh, uh... Issues with Margaret and I. It started that was pre issues.
1: Okay. And then when Amy went missing that that just, only just
2: That really kicked into the high gear.
1: And so that just drove you guys further and further.
2: Yeah, well yeah. We got divorced finally in
1: nineteen eighty nine. Nineteen ninety one. Nineteen ninety one. Now did you separate for a while before that, or did you just no, stay? stayed in the house. Stayed in the same house? Yes. And you kept Amy's room the same as it was? Yeah,
2: not to never moved back into Amy's room or anything.
1: After the funeral and the memorial services, and the fact that Amy had been gone for nearly four months, did you start to question pretty much everybody in your life? as far as possible suspects. Oh, yeah, you run through your whole list of friends. And, uh, Do you start looking at your friends differently? I mean, is there any, well, like, did you...
2: Not, uh, did it
1: change... I guess the question is, like, obviously it's going to affect you psychologically, but did, it, did you become more introverted or more isolated?
2: Uh, you know, it made me probably go just a little bit the other way, from being a little bit more introverted to a little bit more...
1: Gregarious? Uh, yeah. Extroverted, I should Extroverted.
2: say. Extroverted. Yeah, it forced you to get make things happen if you could.
1: Yeah. I mean I I know that the in the video of the when you guys donated the, the tree was planted, you know, you're you're sort of just sort of off to the background there. And you know, just to see your role change through the years and as you mentioned, you know, Margaret's passing obviously made you have to be the main cheerleader. Yes, exactly. But the reason you haven't left left Cleveland is because there isn't any. I mean, this is this is home now. But this is home. But the reason you haven't left is because of Amy.
2: And that was one of the reasons I was not transferred any further by General Motors by Buick.
1: Did you end up retiring from Buick? I did
2: retire from them. Um, this was my last move coming to Cleveland, and uh, and. Um, not begrudgingly and not with any uh malice in my heart but amy had a lot to do with keeping the amy case had a lot to do with me staying here in cleveland for being a major corporation and buick was a division general. they were extremely uh we had a uh general manager of buick that was extremely family orientated uh team orientated uh well respected type of person
1: was there any point that you thought that your job may have had some involvement in Amy's abduction and murder?
2: And I and I dealt with a lot of people, and you know, uh, as far as customers with problems, and you never know, I might have said no to somebody that you know wanted something that I didn't think he had. That person had coming, and it uh, might have made him angry. You you never know. So you don't know.
1: Was it impossible not to think about who could have possibly done this to your daughter?
2: Oh, yeah, you always, you know, you always play that game of, well, you know, it could be this guy, it could be that guy, uh, um, um, you know, everything from the floor refinisher down to whatever else. You always think, oh, that makes sense.
1: You know, Amy's life was obviously cut tragically short. What do you think she would be doing if she were still alive today?
2: I don't know. She'd be out riding Don's horse. <laughs> That's
1: for sure. you got to take advantage of what you what you got. Yeah. <laughs> so did he actually, was the horse that he had, did he, was that uh, stabled at Holly Hill? No,
2: he kept a horse at his, he kept, he had Vermillion, he had the horses right on his
1: house. On his property? Oh, yeah. Oh.
2: Like I've always said, Amy was a can-do person. I mean, you... When she learned how to tie her shoes, if you're in a hurry to tie, try to go someplace and try to tie her shoes, uh uh I can do that. You're not you're not helping you know, I can do that. Uh, she would have been a good athlete. She she was uh, she would have been a good athlete. Uh loved her animals, whether it was the dog. My one friend in the vermilion had the horse. I mean, she was and her and Margaret rode horses, but she always loved animals. Uh
1: so when I met with Chief Spetzel, I asked him what he would say to the killer if he knew he was listening. And I guess in this situation, I'm going to ask you the same question. What would you say to the killer if he's listening to you right now?
2: Hey, you're... This, I don't know how Mrs. Uh, Chief would have answered it, but uh, hopefully your time being uh, free is, is coming to a, a, an end. And... Uh, and uh, uh, hopefully the, your, uh, I don't, I'm just saying your time being free out, out in the public is coming to an end. That's what I'm trying to say.
1: This individual has taken the life of your daughter and in the meantime has lived a free life. What would you like to see done when he is arrested?
2: Somebody once described, made a statement, and it's true. It's like describing a color on the phone that nobody's ever seen before try to describe a color nobody's ever
1: seen.
0: But as far as you saying,
1: You have as no as idea you know.
2: what you're going to be like. Yeah, exactly. It's an unknown. Yep. So, uh, um, back uh, when it's, you know, you want a eye for an eye when this thing... First, but now, uh, I just, I just think uh, uh, if when it catch the person, just put them in a general prison population.
1: They'll take care of it. They'll take care of it. Now, you said you wanted an eye for an eye back then, so you you were, you no, were yeah,
2: out for... Oh, yeah, kill the son of a bitch. But, not just put them in... And, and go a little further, maybe, uh... On the day Amy was abducted and her birthday, put him in solitary confinement for that day. Just one, two days of a year, but then put them in a general prison population. Make sure they know who we... Because they don't... I mean, even when... Uh, he was a body shop guy, um... That was associated with uh, one of the biker clubs, okay. and they were out. I mean, wow. you don't mess with kids, even though they're druggies, bikers. And he didn't look like that. That was not the mental image that you see. But he he knew them, and they were out. They were out looking.
1: As I mentioned before, the Mahalovics are very welcoming people, and as we closed out our interviews, they were very aware of the fact that I had not eaten in almost two hours and did try to persuade me to stay for lunch. Yeah. Might as well stay for lunch now, Bill. <laughs> actually, my wife's off of uh, work today. So. Well, yeah, she's not teaching anymore. No, so I actually have to. It's okay. my one day off this week. So. Call her up and we'll
2: have her come over. We'll <laughs> throw some steaks at her. so. <laughs>
1: Maybe sometime in the summer we'll do that. That'd be fine. So there is Mark Mahalovic, and I hope this week's episode was able to give you a little bit more insight into the type of person that Mark is. And he is definitely one of those people that has carried this burden of the loss of his daughter for nearly 30 years. And I, like many other people, including the authorities, would like nothing more than to see closure for Mark and his family. I'm very excited to announce today that I received the trailer for the upcoming documentary series that Investigation Discovery Channel has been working on for over the past year, and one of the episodes in the three-part documentary series will be focused solely on the Amy Maholovic case. I myself was a participant in the interview process, as well as James Renner and some of the other voices that you have heard on this podcast. So it is my pleasure to play for you the upcoming trailer for the documentary series the lake erie murders that airs on investigation discovery at 9 p.m eastern to 12 a.m eastern on december 30th enjoy
0: october 27th 1989 started out like any other day everything changed everybody's life changed he took my mother. The first thing that we noticed was blood mixed with lake water.
2: Bring her home to us. I beg you.
0: I couldn't imagine going
1: through what she went through.
0: The Lake Erie Murders, all new series, premieres Sunday, December 30th at 9, only on Investigation Discovery.
1: Thank you again for listening to this week's episode of Who Killed Amy Maholovic? And stay tuned next week for the final episode of the Who Killed Amy Maholovic series. If you enjoy this independently produced podcast, please help support independent journalism by clicking on the Donate button on the bottom left of whokilledamymihalovic.com. You can also make a donation through the Venmo app with my username at bill-huffman-3. Thank you to the listeners that help keep this podcast going. Any amount is appreciated. And you can also help support the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Because that will help get this show the coverage it deserves. You can contact the Bay Village Police Department at 440-871-1234 if you have any new information regarding this case. As well as the FBI is offering a reward of up to $25,000 for anyone with information concerning the arrest of the person responsible for the death of Amy Renee Mahalovic you can contact the FBI at 1-800-CALL-FBI. Thank you again for listening, and as always, be safe.